Welcome into another special edition of Boys Don't Lie, the podcast. I am Owen Burke, here to bring you another sports bonus. Um, so today is just sports. This is the until then bonus. Um, some some things have kind of happened this week that we're not used to. A lot of a lot of things have changed as we've went along. So I'm going to try to cover everything. So we're all on the same page going forward. We all kind of know what's happening. So um, um, basically, we're supposed to have uh, kind of a, a two-hour bonus from me and Samara this week. Um, mine half obviously being the sports half that I usually do and his being the music of pop culture. Some stuff happened with his along in the editing process. Uh, some of it got messed up along the way, so we weren't able to recover the files. So um, we all agreed that we just kind of wanted to get the sports half out uh, for the people that like sports out there. So that's what this is going to be today. Um, so Shay wasn't, we weren't able to get together and do the episode 19 as usual. Shay had some family stuff come up. Um, so he was dealing with that stuff. Uh, so we pushed episode 19 back, so we st- will still get another two episodes in season one, and uh, episode 19 and 20 will be coming in the next two weeks. Uh, today is just going to be a sports bonus, and this record, you know, the, the rest of the episode that you'll hear today is a recording from a day or two ago. I'm re-recording the intro to kind of make sure we, I, I cover everything that kind of happened. Um, you'll hear me reference it as the What Comes Next bonus a lot. Uh, we kind of changed the title after I had recorded it. So this is the Until Then bonus. It is what the title is. I may reference it wrong. Um, so if you hear, also if you hear my voice change, like the pitch shift or anything, it is because the other recording is a day or two older. I'm kind of re-recording the intro for it. So with that, I'm just going to hop in and uh, start the episode, the, the sports bonus, the Until Then bonus. And we will see you guys next week for episode 19 as regularly scheduled. So I'm very excited to be here. Got a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, I, I had a lot written down and I was looking for a couple fan questions, went and asked a couple buddies, and I think every single one of them gave me a question back. So if you asked for a sports question to be answered this week, um, there's a solid possibility it's on this episode. It could be on my other bonus that's also dropping today. Um, it's our um, playoff review and finals prediction for the NBA. Uh, there's a couple of our NBA questions that made it onto there. And since I did get so many questions, there will be a couple that we'll have to push into episode 19. And there's a couple that I talked to Shane and Samari about that they really liked and they wanted a chance to talk about it. So the the ones that they wanted to talk about have also been pushed back. So if you ask the sports question for this week and you don't see it here and you don't see it on the other bonus, then it's most likely going to be on episode 19. So I have them all written down. Hopefully I don't forget anything. I am human. It is possible to happen. Um, so before we get into it again, one last thing. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys being here. If you made it this far or if you... You know, whatever whatever the circumstances are. If you're here listening, I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone that's listened to us before, who's listening to us currently, and whoever listens to us in the future. We are on the road to 100K listeners. We're very close. I think we're at like 75, 80,000 listeners right now. So it's up, man. We're going up. We're going up. We're going up. Um, a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I have a lot planned for... Um, Bonus wise, I have a lot planned for when when season one's over and we're kind of in the lull before season two. We're just gonna do a lot of a lot of bonuses, and I've bro, I've got a ton of sports bonuses lined up. So if you're a sports guy like I am, I got plenty of content coming. I plan on hopefully having a couple sports uh, fan questions in each bonus as well. Trying to start it off with like a fan question, maybe two, depending on how long I think I'll have to talk about the questions. So. Hopefully fan questions will keep rolling. That's the goal. Um, and also, I mean, I've got a bonus lined up for I'm going to run through every division in the NFL. That's the goal. Uh, we're going to talk about the NBA draft coming up. I don't know if that will be on an episode uh, 19 or 20 or if that's going to be a bonus with me and Samari. I know he wanted to talk about that a lot. So we have a lot coming. So if you're into sports, it's it's our time to shine because when, when season 19 and season 20 is done, I'm going to become a madman in the booth, and I'm going to start cranking out one to two bonuses a week. And, I mean, I've got probably at least like 15 to 20 already planned, and I'm sure that I'll come up with more as we go along. So if you're here, thank you for being here. If you're not here, hopefully you get here soon. Let's get into some sports. We'll start with our fan questions. We did have one question from my buddy Derek in Wichita. Couldn't get to it last week on we on uh, episode 18, so I told him we'd bump it into this week. So I'm going to start with it today and make sure we get a chance to talk about it. So at the time that he posed this question, it was a lot better of a question then. Um, it was right before Game 7 of the Easter Conference semis, the Bucks and the Nets. Um, 
he kind of he's like, well, the you know the Bucks are on the verge of being eliminated again in the second round. Obviously, they've moved on, but still, this is a pressing question to ask because they could get bounced here and they could get bounced in the finals if they make it. Um, he said, if I was in the Bucks front office, what would I do to put the Bucks in the best chance to win? What do I surround Giannis with to give the Bucks the best chance of winning their first NBA title since 1971? I believe 1972, something like that. I know the Knicks were 73. I know the Bucks haven't won a title in a long time. Um, all four of the remaining teams in the, the conference finals um, have not won a title since the 70s or have never won a title at all. So very, very, very interesting to watch the rest of the, the conference finals play out. But I'll talk about more on that in the other bonus. So if you want to hear nothing but playoff basketball, make sure you tune in and go listen to that bonus. Uh, it should be out right now as well. So as far as the Bucks front office goes... They put themselves in a very good spot. I think they've done a very, very good job of surrounding Giannis with the guys that I would surround him with. Uh, guys like Brooke Lopez. Uh, they had Wesley Matthews in last year. Chris Middleton's a Chris Middleton's probably one of, if not the best, secondary star you can put next to Giannis. Um, so the Bucks front office has done well. So let's start with that. There's a reason they're in the conference finals. It's not all Giannis. It is the roster that they put around him. They've done a very, very good job of putting a good roster around him. Now, if I'm in the front office, they're also in a good spot going into this offseason. They only have, I think, four or five free agents where you look at the Lakers have like 10, which is two-thirds of their roster is going to be unrestricted or restricted free agents this offseason. So that's an issue for the Lakers. It's not one that the Bucks have. They have five or six free agents, the most notable one being P.J. Tucker, and I don't think they really have a notable one outside of P.J. Tucker. So for the Bucks right now, they're sitting pretty because, first of all, we're worried about playing basketball right now we got to get through the conference finals and hopefully we have to get through the finals as well hopefully we get there and you know you deal with that then we go into the offseason regardless of how this season ends we've got to do some work um i think they're missing one i wouldn't say that the bucks are missing a third superstar i don't think they need one but if you're not going to have that third superstar and you expect to be in the title hunt every year you have to have to have one of the best bench rotations in the league and you have to have some of the better role players in the league on that in your starting five as well. And that's, I think, what they need to focus on in the offseason. I think the biggest thing for the Bucks in the offseason is we are looking for high-level role players that aren't going to break the bank. I don't – I mean, unless unless the opportunity arises and I could bring in a superstar point guard um, without spending a ton of money, then – I'm 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 strictly looking for role player guys. So guys like I it just, it kind of depends on what the market is. I don't know what Kyle Lowry's market's going to look like. CP3 is probably going to reset that market, but if he's for some reason looking to get out of Phoenix, which the way that the Suns are playing right now, I can't imagine that he would. If he's looking to get out of Phoenix, he he has said he's going to decline his player option. So he is hitting free agency. Now it seems like he's hitting free agency just so he can sign a bigger deal in Phoenix, but if Phoenix doesn't want to pay him, that means he's going to land elsewhere. So if the market's right, I'm looking at Kyle Lowry, I'm looking at CP3. I'm looking at strictly guys that are shooting around that 40 to 45% from three. I'm looking for snipers. And I will allow it to drop to 38 and 37% from the three as long as I know that this player is going to be able to contribute outside of that. But I'm looking for, I need those set shooters, you know. And I'm going to talk about the Lakers and their path back to the finals later on. And you're going to hear a lot of the names repeated because... They need a lot of the same things. They need a lot of shooters uh, around LeBron and Giannis. So, like, Kyle Lowry, CP3 is up there. Norman Powell, I think, would be a great addition. I think right now, honestly, the Bucks either need they need a one or a two. They have Drew Holiday in the building. You have Chris Middleton. You have Giannis. So that can either be your one, two, and three, or that could be Middleton can play the three because he's 6'7". Giannis can play the four. So that leaves you a gap where you can bring in a point guard or a shooting guard. Guys like Derrick Rose, I think, would fit very well in Milwaukee as well. Uh, you could bring Evan Fournier in and put him at the two. Um, even a guy like Laurie Markkinen, I could bring in, put him at the four, or even play him at the five in certain scenarios, depending on you know the health and, and the rest of Brook Lopez and Giannis at the time. Like we can get scary with these lineups. Laurie Markkinen is a restricted free agent, so I don't see him being able to go to Milwaukee because, like I said, they're they're. Um, priorities should be spending their money wisely. And to get a guy that's a restricted free agent, you usually have to break the bank for. Uh, you have to give up more than what the other team is willing to give up. You know, that's how restricted free agency works. So um, it could be a possibility. The Bulls are in 
the I don't know. The Bulls are just in limbo. As as the definition of well, we don't know where our team is at in the NBA atmosphere. That's what the Bulls are. We have no clue. We might be a seller team. We might be an eight seed if we get a couple pieces and a competent head coach like Rick Carlisle. We could be a six, five or four seed. They have a lot of talent. Um, and it also depends on if they decide to trade away Zach Levine this offseason, uh, what they decide to do with Kobe White's deal going forward. They have Wendell Carter, or no, they traded Wendell Carter Jr. Now you have Nikola Vujicic, um, who's playing center for you. And then also you have to, like I just stated, you have to navigate Laurie Markkinen's restricted free agency. Um, another guy that's a restricted free agent, uh, Devontae Graham, which is a higher possibility. You could see Devontae Graham leave, new, um, leave Charlotte. Uh, they have Terry Rozier on a big contract for the next four years. You have Rookie of the Year LaMelo Ball on your roster. You don't really need three point guards, and I don't see... Like, LaMelo could play the two, but he's going to be your ball handler. Like, if LaMelo Ball's on the floor, no one else should be bringing the ball up the court than him, regardless. So, even if you slide him to two, so because he, he is tall enough to where he can guard shooting guards, he's going to be your point guard. You're leaving Terry Rozier and, and Devontae Graham in, in spot-up shooter roles. I think you'll probably see Devontae Graham leave uh, Charlotte this offseason. Depending on what the price tag is, I'm definitely calling if I'm the Bucks front office. I think a lineup of Devontae Graham, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez is a very scary five in my opinion. Because even I, I trust Devontae Graham. I, I like him a lot as a as a player i like him a lot as a passer and i love him as a shooter so i think he fits all the gaps the only question is the the dollar sign and that's that's the biggest thing that the bucks have to navigate this this offseason is the dollar sign regardless of the aspect whether it's trying to re-sign pj tucker trying to trade in you know bring in like a guy like zach levine or if they wanted to trade for somebody else or signing these restricted or unrestricted free agents in the offseason so I don't think the Bucks need another superstar, but if the price is right, you can't turn that down. Obviously, your chances increase if you have a third superstar that fits the system well. Um, but I'm looking for high-level role players and guys that can shoot the ball. I'm not looking for guys that can shoot the ball. That's not. I'm looking for guys that can shoot the ball efficiently. I need guys that are going to hit 35 to 40 to 45 percent of their threes on any given night. I need the efficiency. I need. Another thing, I need Giannis to, he obviously, halfback dive. The guy gets to the rim very efficiently. He finishes very, very efficiently. If he can add an extra level, he already averaged, I believe he averaged six assists a game this year, which is very, very solid. If he can upgrade to that eight to nine range and start, you know, lingering on averaging that triple-double and becomes very, very adverse at driving and kicking out, especially if you have those shooters ready, Giannis could definitely average a triple double. I could see it. You know, if he if he truly goes at it the right way and they have the right guys around him that are going to be able to hit those shots, I could see it, man. I wouldn't put it past because he's a walking double double. I don't think you're going to see a majority of nights where Giannis will not finish with double digit points and double digit rebounds. So, um, I mean, he averaged twenty seven and thirteen. Don't quote me on that. I know he's been around that mark for a majority of the last two to three years in his MVP seasons. So that's my plan if I'm the Bucks front office. Um, I love the question, Derek. Thank you for it. I it also gave me the idea to kind of look at the Lakers. Um, so we'll get into that later because it wasn't really a fan question. It's just kind of something I wanted to talk about. So uh, the second fan question we have today, I believe, um, second fan question we have today. I don't know where I was going with that. I completely got lost in the sauce for a second. Um, what matchup in the NFL are you looking? Are you most looking forward to? Now he said this could be either like a player, like a player on player matchup, you know, watching Devontae Adams and, and Jalen Ramsey go at it again, or team wise. Um I mean, this is a tough question. Uh I think any I mean the league is so deep now. I, I, I think this is probably the best time to ever be a football fan. I don't think there's ever been a time in in the NFLs, at least in the recent history, where the league's been this deep, man. I don't think there's only one or two divisions that probably have a complete lockdown on who the champ's going to be. Uh, I think watching Baltimore and Cleveland go at it this year, twice a year, um, obviously being in the same division, both of those games are going to be extremely, extremely good. A lot of people, I was, I'm a little frustrated as a Ravens fan. Um, every every single person I've seen talk about the AFC North is like the Browns have it locked up. Like it's a no, it's a foregone conclusion. The Browns are winning the vi the division, and it doesn't matter. Let's not forget 
who suits up in that purple and black each offseason. All right, we have a league MVP. We have the best rushing offense in the NFL. In NFL history, they have the best rushing offense of all time. Um, usually boasts a top 10 defense. Could be top five, depending on how well they hit on their draft picks and the potential around those guys. Um, the best, I think, the best rounded second, or I wouldn't say best secondary in the league. I would definitely say best cornerback duo with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. The Ravens are not anything slight. Now, I'm not saying that the Browns have no chance. The the division is 100% up for grabs. Um, the Steelers just released David DeCastro right before I was about to get on the mic. I got the the note for, uh, the tweet from Shefty. Um, so. I, I was saying it's kind of it's it's wide open in in the AFC North because you look at Baltimore you look at Cleveland I think are the two top picks and I was like Pittsburgh is capable of surprises you have Najee Harris uh, it all comes down to if their defense can play as well as they did last year and how good their offensive line is which after losing David DeCastro I think I'm gonna go out on a limb here I think the Steelers are gonna have the worst record in the AFC North now. I think this is going to be Big Ben's last year. I think he's retiring. I think he's going to be forced into retirement by injuries. I think he's going to get. I think he's going to get his shit kicked in by the defenses in his division and out of his division. I think if I'm Big Ben, I'm going into this year. We're playing. We're playing 17 games in 18 weeks. I'm taking at least two games off. I'm not playing against Cleveland. We can bring Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins out. I don't want any part of Miles Garrett against my unproven offensive line now. Offensive lines are always the the hardest thing to predict. They could come out and play great as a team, and they could be fine. I could be overstating it, but when I look at the guys that they have on their roster right now, as far as it comes to their offensive linemen, I recognize one name. And I my parents are Steelers fans, so I try to keep up with their roster a lot. Um, you know, so I have you know I'm able able to talk about them. I look at that offensive line, and I recognize one, maybe two names. And they didn't draft any guys in the top two or three rounds uh, for their offensive line. So the Steelers are in trouble. And when it comes to the Bengals, honestly, it also comes down to their offensive line. If they can keep Joe Burrow healthy, I think they have a solid chance. It all comes down to Joe Burrow's health, Joe Mixon's health, the impact of Jamar Chase, and how well Zach Taylor can coach that defense and play as a unit. Because as a defense, you don't need superstar talent. They have it. Um, I think Jesse Bates is a top five safety in the league. If you look at just last year, just this last season, Jesse Bates was the best safety in the league. Um, which, granted, a lot of his opportunities came from um, his corners not being able to cover uh, anything. His corners were some of the worst in the league, so he had to step up and he filled the role beautifully. Jesse Bates had a ridiculously good season last year. Um, so they have a little bit of star power in their secondary. Uh, so it comes down to the health of their quarterback. It, it comes down to the health of the Joes on offense, Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow, and how well their defense can play together. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised, man. The Bengals are – they can be a scrappy team at times. People forget within the last five to six years, they were a 14-2 team at one point. Now, granted, the roster is almost completely different since then. But the bottom line is Cincinnati is capable of surprises. So don't count them out. Um, I'm definitely looking, obviously, at the AFC North, a biased opinion, being a Ravens fan. I think also the NFC West, man. Uh, you want to talk about, I wouldn't say a division that's wide open, but holy cow, the, the, the level of talent that is in the NFC West right now is absolutely ridiculous. We're looking at, you have Russell Wilson and the Seahawks try to get back on track after finishing the season rough last year. We have the Rams, who have a revamped offense with Matthew Stafford. I have Kyler Murray who has, and the Cardinals who have D-Hop, and they've now added A.J. Green to their offense, and they've added J.J. Watt to their defense. I think J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones are the best pass-rushing duo in the league right now. Um, and then how could you forget about the 49ers who took Jimmy Garoppolo to a Super Bowl two years ago? Um, they had a lot of health problems last year. Hopefully they stay healthy this year. Um, it comes down to what they do with Trey Lance, and, and even with Trey Lance off the field, how well does Jimmy G perform? Because that division is no cakewalk, man. I think that's the toughest division in football right now. Uh, they, they're you want to talk about strength of schedule? They have six games where I don't know, man. <laughs> and that goes for all the teams. I have no idea who's going to come out on top of that division. So watching that division play this year, man. If you if you have a chance to sit down and watch an NFC West football uh, divisional football game, I'd say take the time and do it because I think those guys are going to put on a show. And you want to talk about parity in the NFL? You look up parity in the NFL, the NFC West's logo pops up. All four of those teams are going to pop up for you.
So, um, moving into kind of our new section out of the fan questions. Like I said, if you didn't hear your fan question here, make sure you listen to our playoff one. I had a lot of NBA questions. I kind of moved a lot of them in. A lot of them were revolving around Trey Young and Devin Booker, which being that those guys are still in the playoffs, I decided to kind of split it up and put a lot of the NBA questions on that one. And if you don't hear your question there, <clears throat> then make sure you tune in uh, to episode 19 next week. There's some of them that Shay and Samari wanted to talk about um, and some that we, I just didn't have time for. I got, yeah, I usually ask questions. I ask if anybody has questions to a couple of guys, and I usually get you know one or two questions back, which is perfect. I got like 10, almost like 10 questions today, just in the last like two to three hours. And I already had some written down before then. So like I said, if you don't see it today, um, make sure you text me, honestly. Text me, Snapchat me, DM me on Twitter, whatever. Make sure I have it on for next week, and I'll make sure I get to it next week on episode 19. Um, so into our more news, news topics, um, the NFL posted a statement earlier this week. Uh, it said... They are going to start accepting bids to host the NFL Combine past uh, 2023, which is a big deal. Uh, as long as I can remember, the the Combine's been in Lucas Oil Field in Indianapolis. It's kind of it is a tradition at this point. Now they're accepting bids. I hope that they only accept bids for teams that are in a dome, uh, because I would prefer to do the Combine at a stadium, not at a practice field. And I think doing the Combine indoors is always, I don't know, it's. I wouldn't say it's bad to do it outdoors, but it's kind of we've always done it indoors, so I don't want to change it at this point. So teams like Arizona, Minnesota, um, SoFi Stadium in L.A. would be a very, very high bid. The 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 Raiders' new stadium in Vegas would be a very, very high bid, I think. I think that's honestly, if I had to guess, if it's leaving Indianapolis in 2023, I'm looking at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, and I'm looking at, I think it's Allegiant Stadium. In Las Vegas. I think those are your two top bids uh, to land the combine, especially when it comes to domes. Like I said, I'm curious to see how they handle it, if they're going to try to allow teams with you know the open open tops, just regular stadiums, to do it or not. Something to kind of watch or keep your eye on, but it's definitely going to be weird watching the combine anywhere else than Lucas Oil. So if that happens, man, I mean, it's not a major change. It's not going to change who gets picked here or there or how you perform unless it's outside. That could change how you perform, but... It's going to be interesting nonetheless because, like I said, that's one of the more time-honored traditions is having the combine at Lucas Oil. So we'll see what happens going forward. Um, also, the NFL, uh, it was about a, probably 30 minutes or an hour before I started recording today as well. Um, they approved alternate helmets for throwback jerseys could be in place by 2022. Uh, so you won't see any this year. We should be able to see them in 2022. At the latest, they said they'll probably be out in 2023, which means um, the way I read it, if you have throwback jerseys, you know, when when the Niners wear their, their 85 whites or, you know, their red throwbacks, the Buccaneers doing their orange, like if they went back to the orange scheme that they originally had when they were a team, you can have alternate jerseys for that. So you could see, like, Baltimore could bring back the shield with the wings coming out of it on the side of the helmet like they rocked in uh, Ray Lewis's rookie year. Um, so it would be interesting to see there. I... I hope that they expand it to where you're allowed to just have one alternate helmet regardless. I want a white Baltimore Ravens helmet so bad. I, I want I want the next time, because this year Baltimore, Kansas City plays in M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore against the Ravens. The next time that the Ravens take the trip down to Kansas City to play in Arrowhead, I want to see Lamar Jackson in that all-white jersey, you know, the white jersey, white pants, and I want a white helmet with that Ravens logo on the side. And I want to watch those white swim through that sea red. We might not come out on top, but damn, it's going to be a good game. And I'm going to be in the stands for it. You better believe it. So um, I want I want a white Ravens helmet so bad. But finally, I mean, it's a step in the right direction nonetheless. I've been wanting alternate helmets for a very long time. I thought it was always kind of goofy that you had to stick to one helmet. Um, for the last couple years, so now we get the throwback helmets back. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what like the Jets and the Packers do. They had some interesting throwbacks uh, growing up as well. Seeing what the Bills do with their old throwback jerseys, the ones that they used to wear back when Jim Kelly was there, and even the ones that Marshawn Lynch wore when he was there uh, before he got to Seattle as well. So a lot of a lot of good stuff happening, a lot of cool stuff happening. I'm I'm oh so excited. I mean, who doesn't love the cosmetics of the game, man? Look good. You feel good. If you feel good, you play good. So 
hopefully a lot of teams hit with these jerseys. Um, kind of curious to see what Jacksonville does as well, because I've always been a big fan of their original jerseys, the black helmet with the Jaguar on the side and the blue jerseys. So with Trevor Lawrence in the building, we'll see what they do as well. Um, very, very excited. Um, I think it was kind of the same thing as the celebration rule. I was like, why is this a thing? Like, come on. We have bigger fish to fry here. We have Thursday of football still exists. That's an issue. We have all these problems in the locker rooms and with targeting and things on the field. Why are we worried about celebration? Why are we worried about the color of these guys' shoes? Why are we worried about alternate helmets? Let's let's fry the big fish before we start picking the shrimp. You know what I'm saying? So, um, in Kansas City news, uh, Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested. I believe it was in Las Vegas. He was arrested um, for having, an I think it was an unregistered Uzi in his car. Uh, so it was a submachine gun. Um, I had a couple Chiefs fans that were like, good, maybe we'll actually be better without him. A lot of Chiefs fans don't like Frank Clark. And the couple Chiefs fans that I'm thinking of know exactly who they are. Um, but the bottom line is, I think, unless they were to cut him or release him or anything like that, you're still going to have to pay him. So I, I don't know if if paying a guy $20 million to sit on the sideline for a year is a good thing for you, but Kansas City fans would be more to elaborate on what he brings or does not bring to their defense going forward. Uh, but it's definitely something to watch because that's going to affect the Chiefs. Whether it's positive or negative, it will have an effect on their defense, and that's going to be... With their offensive line revamped and as good as it's looking going into this year, I think the Chiefs' defense is the biggest question mark that they have of trying to go to three straight Super Bowls. So um, we'll see going forward. Um, And then the last one, I was kind of hoping we were going to be able to do a discussion piece on this last week. Um, We went super long. We did two hours of music and only did a half an hour of sports last week, so I wasn't able to get it in. But I'm going to talk about it today because I can wait no longer, regardless of if I'm going to have somebody to talk about it or not. Samar sent this picture in our group chat, brought it up about a week, a week and a half ago. Um, If you take every division in the NFL and you combine all four of the teams into one super team, which division has the best super team out of the league? So, you know, know, you'd be able to see teams suit up – I'm trying to think of what the best duo would be. Like, we're gonna have um, Lamar Jackson throwing to Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr. Uh, we'll have Deshaun Watson throwing to Julio Jones and AJ Brown while handing it off to Derrick Henry. So this is uh, it's very very interesting to kind of see how this plays out. Um, off the top of my head, I was thinking the AFC West was gonna be really really good. I was thinking the NFC West was gonna be really good. Um, I was kind of surprised by the answer. I went ahead and made a spreadsheet. I dialed it all in. I wanted to actually get what I think would be best. And it was very hard to try to do it off the top of my head. So I decided, let's put it on paper. Let's put it on a computer and let's see what we're looking at. Um, I think by far the worst division that um, would come out of this would be the AFC East, which is the Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, and Jets. Um, this team is bad in of itself. If you take the Bills out, they're uh, they're zero and sixteen. This team is horrible. So you're looking at when I look at this roster, I'm looking at Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, Stephon Diggs, and Cole Beasley. There's four guys right off the top. There's your quarterback, running back, and two wideouts. Those are all Bills players. So like I said, if you take the Bills out, we're in deep doo doo. Um, Stephon Diggs is the only guy that I think ranks in the top five or top six of his position. I have Josh Allen right at top seven. He he rounds out at seven for me going into this year. Um, but I'm not going to go too much into that. If you're curious about it, trust me, I have a bonus coming up of top ten quarterbacks going into this year, and I will explain why I have him sitting outside of my top five in that bonus. Um, you have Will Fuller, Mike Gusecki, New England's offensive line, and the Jets' defense. Not a great team. Um, I'm looking at the AFC North, honestly, isn't that great either. <clears throat> the AFC North, when you when you draw this out, really shows how terrible Baltimore's receivers are. Uh, we have Lamar Jackson. You have Mark Andrews, who I think is the top, th- top three, top four tight end. Um, and then you have Cleveland's O-line, which was top five. And then you have Baltimore's defense. A lot of people put Pittsburgh's defense when they were talking about this. Like I said, I think their defense has a regression this year. I think Baltimore is the best defense, and I'd put it probably in that top 12, top 10 range. Um, As far as the best teams, a lot of people were thinking the NFC East was actually going to be really good because the parity of of that division. But when I'm looking at this on paper, man, I'm thinking NFC North, actually, which I was very, very surprised to see. I think the NFC North is the the best division. So we're looking at Aaron Rodgers, who's a top three, top five quarterback. 
You have Dalvin Cook, who's a top, arguably top three, top five running back. We have Devontae Adams, who's a top three, top five receiver. We have Allen Robinson, who's a top five, top seven, eight receiver. Justin Jefferson, who is a lot of people put him at 10, 11, 12. Um, and then you have TJ Hawkinson, who's right in that 7, 8, 9 probably category for tight ends. Green Bay's O-line, which is top three, and Chicago's defense, which is by far no pushover. That, I think, is the best division when you look at this. Um, I think the NFC South would also be kind of lacking if they didn't have the Buccaneers. You're looking at Tom Brady, Christian McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, and then Tampa Bay's O-line and Tampa Bay's defense as well. So you take Tampa Bay out, we don't have a quarterback, we lose two of our receivers, we lose our tight end, and we lose our offensive line and our defense. So I think the NFC South without Tampa Bay is also kind of bad. Um, you look at the AFC West is pretty good. Uh, the only three guys that track in the top six, though, are all Chiefs players with Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey. Uh, so it's it's it, it was fun to do, though, to sit back and try to look at this. And it kind of really shows you which teams have, you know, which teams are good at this versus that, you know, and which players also get left off. Because I only did starters. I wasn't going to... As much as I had fun doing this, I wasn't going to go through and look at, you know, who is going to be tight end number three for the AFC West. You know, I wasn't going to do that. Because you look at, like, we, I have guys like Jack Doyle and, and Dallas Goddard listed as tight ends for their division. But a guy like Darren Waller isn't mentioned because Travis Kelsey plays in the same division. So it's really, really fun to look at. I'd love to. I might. Don't quote me on this. I might, if I get bored enough, go into Madden and make these, put these teams in and then see who kind of comes out on top of the Super Bowl, just kind of sim the whole year and see what happens. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Like I said, I think the AFC East would struggle the most and the NFC North would be better off. Um, and honestly, I think the NFC West would be very good. I talked about them earlier in the parody of that division. The reason I didn't talk about them much is they don't have a lot of star power on offense. You have Russell Wilson, who's probably you know top five, top seven quarterback. Uh, ended the year rough, so he's down. Chris Carson's a top 10 running back. DeAndre Hopkins, to me, is the best receiver in the league. If you want explanation on it, like I said, I've got top 10 going into this year for each position group. I've got bonuses coming. Uh, you have Robert Woods, DK Metcalf. George Kittle is the top two tight end. That's, I think, going to be the hardest part. I'm doing this top 10 for each position. I've got to figure out who to take between Kittle or Kelsey because I've always been split down the middle. I have no idea. But I'm going to have to make that decision soon. And then you also have the Rams offensive line and the Rams defense, which were both top five, top three last year, actually. Which, you know, I mean, when your defense ranks top three, I mean, that's half of your team right there. That's 11 of your 22 starters that you have. 11 of your 24 if you count special teams. So I think the NFC West would be a very, very good team as well. Um, well, I might, you know, honestly. And if the, if the man's high, if you listen to this and you're like, hey, I'd love to see what that sim would look like in Madden and I have enough demand for it, I will get it done. Um, if you want to see it, let me know. I will make sure to get it done before episode 19. If I don't have enough requests by then, but I end up getting enough, then I'll have it by episode 20 and it'll be on the season finale, the results of it. Because it will take some time to sit there and try to plug all the rosters together. But I do think it would be fun to kind of see what would happen in the long run. So... Um, that's going to do it for that. We're going to move into the NBA out of the NFL here. Um, we're going to start off with something that I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go with this yet. Dallas, we have a problem. Um, when I say Dallas, I'm obviously referring to the Mavericks. Luka Doncic is one of the, is probably the best young player, the best player under 25 in this league. Already an MVP candidate. He had a great, great playoff run this year in in the seven games he played, the six games he played. The issue is as good as he is, and as much as we talk about him, and as much as I love watching him, the Mavericks have two first-round exits to the Clippers. Or the Luka has two first-round exits to the Clippers so far. Um, and also to add to the drama, uh, before game six, Porzingis said that um, he was unhappy. He felt like he was... He wasn't even being looked at as a second superstar in Dallas. He's playing more as a role player. He wants a bigger, expanded role in the offense. And also Rick Carlisle, has, um, he not retired, but he resigned from being the head coach of the Mavericks. There was kind of murmurs that him and Luka weren't getting along during the last six games during that playoff run against the Clippers. 
Um, and when Porzingis came out and talked, I was like, well, no, duh, you're not playing like a superstar. They're not going to treat you like a second option in a superstar unless you're playing like it. Kind of sat down and watched the games back and watched some of the film. There are certain times where Luka will have guys, whether it's KP or anybody, wide open, and he's double teamed and he'll take a floater. And I think that's the magic of Luka because a lot of the praise that he gets comes from that because he is so good at converting in those like situations where you're like when Steph Curry first came onto the scene, like truly in the, in the MVP caliber scene when he started to hit it as many threes as he was and the Warriors were on the rise. Steph became the king of those shots where like where he would shoot it and Steve Kerr would be like, what the fuck are you doing? But halfway through the sentence, the shot would fall and he'd have to shut his mouth. Luka has, I think, kind of taken that title as of right now. Um, and I don't think him and Rick Carlisle have gotten along a lot for that. And now that's a good thing that you can hit those shots, but it's also a bad thing because you're not always going to hit those shots. You can't be 100% on the impossible shots. You know, if you shoot 40 to 50, you're looking good, but the issue is is those 50% you miss could have been a kick out to KP or to Tim Hardaway Jr. for a three that could have ended up losing you the game in the long run. You know, if you lose by two and you miss three double contested shots when you had guys open for threes earlier on, that's the difference of the game right there. So as much as I love Luka, I think he does have to tone down the hero ball a, li- a little bit. As fun as it is to watch and as much as I've praised him for it in the past, it's starting to hurt the Mavericks a little bit, I think. Because I'm, I'm, it's fun, you know, when you're just watching highlights, you're like, oh my god, this is, I, well, I would, I don't want to watch anything else. I'm putting this on for, on a 10 hour loop, I'm not watching anything else. The issue is, is when you're watching the game, you're watching the whole game, not just the highlights, you're seeing where he's kind of costing the Mavericks some points on possessions here and there. While he does get them points on a lot of possessions where you're like, no fucking way are they scoring right here. He's costing them possession on other ones. So the Mavericks have a lot to figure out. Rick Carlisle immediately, I think, becomes the best head coaching free agent in the league. Dallas has got to find a, a competent head coach to put with Luka. Well, you have to decide. Are you going to put a good head coach with him and try to succeed that way? Or are you going to try to put you know, a, a secondary head coach who's kind of just going to let Luka run the show and he's kind of there just to hold the title? Kind of like how Teron Liu was in Cleveland or really how any head coach that's ever coached LeBron James in the NBA has been so far. Um, you kind of have to make that decision, and you gotta you got to make that bet, and you got to lie in it. Um, but nonetheless, I think I want to make that decision quickly because I think it's very, very important. You can't go too deep into the, into the offseason without a head coach. We can't hit free agency in the draft without a head coach. That's obviously – it can't happen – you can't plan what you want to do next season without the guy that's going to enforce and carry that plan out in-house already. So we got to make that decision quick, but more importantly, we have to make the right decision. Decide what you want to do, whether you want to get a strong-minded head coach that's going to be the guy, or if you want to get a weak-minded head coach that's going to let Luka do his thing. Like I said, make your bed and lie in it. And I think you need to make your bed quickly if I'm... If I'm uh, if I'm Dallas, the only thing I'm really waiting for is if you know you're trying to hire one of the guys that's on one of the four staffs that are left in the playoffs. If I'm trying to hire a Suns, Clippers, um, Bucks, or Hawks assistant, that's the only the only way I'm waiting. Now, also, I think if I am Dallas, the one thing I'm truly, truly waiting on is if the Bucks get bounced by the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. There's a 50-50 shot that Mike Budenholzer gets fired. There was a lot of talk that he was going to get canned if they lost to Brooklyn. They ended up pulling that out. I don't know if the situation is going to be the same if they lose to Atlanta. Hell, they might make the finals, lose to the Suns or whatever, or or the Clippers, and then he might get canned there. So that's the the biggest thing I'm waiting because I think Mike Budenholzer becomes the best, if not the second best, behind Rick Carlisle in, when it comes to free agency head coaching. So I'm I'm gonna wait on that decision. Other than that, I've got to get out and I've got to do my research. I got to find the guy who's gonna be the guy to lead the Dallas Mavericks for the next ten years with Luka Doncic and hopefully Kristaps Porzingis at his side. Um, we're gonna get into the Lakers right now. Um, obviously, LeBron James is always gonna be one of the bigger topics when it comes to basketball, whether it's his team or him himself or his kids at Sierra Canyon. It doesn't matter. LeBron is always going to be in headlines, and we're going to talk about him. Um, when I can't remember exactly when the string of tweets came out, but he was talking about players getting injured and 
dealing with health problems. Um, he predicted that there was going to be injuries. You know, when they decided, hey, we're going to have a seventy-two game, seventy-two day off season, we're going to kick into the next season. Uh, a lot of a lot of players spoke out against it. LeBron being one, saying guys are going to get hurt. We can't do this. There's not enough time to rest. An eighty-two game schedule is already strenuous enough. With the offseason we have, now you want to shorten the offseason just so we can try to get back on schedule. It's not a good idea. People are going to get hurt. Sure enough, he was right. Himself being one of the guys that got hurt. His uh, second superstar, Anthony Davis, got hurt a lot. Jamal Murray went down early uh, before the playoffs. Yet a lot of guys struggle with injuries through the playoffs as well. Um, it, it's It's been an issue. And you saw like a, every team had a shortened offseason. Yeah, it's the shortest offseason in major sports history, whether it be the MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, doesn't matter. This is the shortest offseason that any major sports had to deal with. And the Heat and the Lakers obviously had the shortest offseason out of the two because they went the deepest in the playoffs. They were both in the finals for five or six games. So those two teams only had 72 days to prepare. And you saw it. It cost them. The Lakers barely scraped in as the seventh seed went down to the Suns in the first round, who are now in the East, the Western Conference Finals. And then you have the Heat, who came in, and they bounced Milwaukee from the playoffs last year. I was thinking that was going to be the, one of the best playoff series of the, the postseason, and it turned out to be one of the only sweeps that we saw in the first round. And I, I am going to attribute it to two things. Miami... With this last year, this year, you know, that just is currently happening, and last year, and basically ever since they got Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, this team has lived and died by the three-pointer. The issue is, is when it came time to play off basketball against Milwaukee, Miami forgot how to shoot. They could not shoot the ball, let alone shoot it efficiently. They were no, we, like, you have guys that, you have teams that shoot the ball well. You have teams that shoot the ball efficiently, which means they don't shoot as much, but at least they cash the attempts. And then you have teams that forgot how to shoot. Miami forgot how to shoot. We're not even we're not even talking about efficiently. They couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a twenty pound dumbbell. I don't use whatever analogy you want. Miami could not shoot the ball in that playoff series. They got swept. And also outside of that, you know. They, they struggled with health all year. Jimmy Butler missed the first 20 games of the year. Um, Bam Adebayo missed a couple games here and there, I believe. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, they struggled with health, and I think not having that rest ended up costing the heat in the long run just like it did uh, the Lakers. So hopefully everything's back, but now the Lakers and the Heat will have two of the longer off-seasons outside of every team that missed the playoffs. I believe the Heat will have the longest off-season outside of teams that missed the playoffs going into next year. So it'll be very interesting to see what those team two teams do in the off-season and also what they look like when they're fully healthy and rested, ready to go for next year. Now, as far as the Lakers off-seasons go, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Like I said, LeBron's always going to be in the headlines, whether it's about his team or himself. What do the Lakers' path to the finals look like right now? How do the Lakers take this first-round loss to the Suns? How do they bounce back, and how do they find themselves back in the in the NBA Finals? How does LeBron bounce back and find himself back in the NBA Finals? I believe for the, I want to say the 13th time in 15 years or 16 years. Something ridiculous, 12 maybe. I know he missed this year, obviously being bounced. He missed the year before the bubble. Uh, the year that they also he also dealt with injuries and they missed the playoffs. Other than that, LeBron James has made the finals every single year for the last ten to twelve years. I don't know the exact number; it's somewhere around there. So, how do the Lakers get back? Um, I'm going to run through kind of what I think. It's kind of going to be just like how I did with the Bucks, except it's going to be a little bit more in depth outside of the roster itself. Uh, the first thing I'm looking at, I might fire Frank Vogel. I think that's a good thing to do. I think with Rick Carlisle available, I want to call Rick Carlisle and be, hey, are you interested in being the next Lakers head coach? Also, I'm looking at in-house. There's a lot of rumors that Jason Kidd's going to be a head coach somewhere next year. Uh, Damian Lillard wants him in Portland. A lot of guys, some guys want him in the Eastern Conference coaching their teams going forward. So I might even fire Vogel and bring Jason Kidd up to be my head coach at that point. But nonetheless, 
Frank Vogel has to go, in my opinion. Now, it's not a must-have, because I think LeBron James in this roster, if they build the roster right, LeBron can carry this roster back to the finals. I think he can do it um, with a horrible head coach. He's done it his whole career. I'm not going to bet against him in that respect. So they don't have to fire him, but I think they should. And if they do, I'm looking at Rick Carlisle. I'm looking at Jason Kidd. And if Mike Budenholzer gets canned in um, Milwaukee, I'm looking at him as well to be the next Lakers head coach. That's an option that I definitely think that Rob Plink in that front office needs to at least kick around. We need to at least talk about it, have a little powwow, see what we want to do. It's not 100% guaranteed, but the way that he managed the Lakers lineups in the final in in the playoffs was absolutely horrible. Um, the Montrez Harrell he played a lot in the last game of the series in the elimination game in Game Six. In the first five games, Montrezl Harrell had a total of 30 minutes played. That's absolutely ridiculous to me. That guy was a six-man-of-the-year candidate and was one of the main reasons that the Clippers made the playoffs the year before and the year before that as well. He was a catalyst for that Clippers team. He jumped ship and came to play with LeBron James and the Lakers, and Frank Vogel left his ass on the bench. I need Frank Vogel out of there because he we're running we're running Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis against the Warriors against the small ball Warriors I've got two seven footers on the court that can't fly it's not we're we're moving year in year out we're moving for, further and further towards positionless basketball which means you have to play the matchups I don't care if I have the best center in the league I don't care if I have, I don't care if I have Rudy Gobert I don't care if I have prime Shaq if I'm playing against a team that's going to run Draymond Green at the center and four shooters I can't have even like I you know, I could probably have prime Shaq. Obviously, that's an overstatement. I can't have Rudy Gobert out on the court for 38 minutes that night. It can't happen. I have to have guys that are going to be able to switch and rotate. And I think I'll have time. I'm I'm, I'm doing pretty good on time so far. I want to stop the Lakers talk for a second. I want to talk about Rudy Gobert. I've been a big critic. Uh, Criticizer of Rudy Gobert the last, especially the last two to three months, but for the last two three years, um, he won DPOY. Three, he's won DPOY three times this year, including this year. Giannis won it last year, and he won the year before. When he won the year before, I was like, I don't like this. The guy led the league in blocks. Cool. This is not the league we play in. When you led the league in blocks in the '90s, it was a big deal. A lot of the a lot of the paints that were, the points that were being scored were in the paint in the mid range. Having a good defensive center was the thing to have. Like in the 1984 draft, Michael Jordan went third overall. You know the two guys that went before him? Hakeem Olajuwon, who I think is one of the best, if not the best center of all time. And you have, it's just a personal opinion. I don't think he's, you know, I wouldn't go out and try to prove that he's better than Shaq or anybody else. I like Hakeem Olajuwon a lot because I think despite being 6'11", 7'7", he plays just like a guy like Bam Adebayo does. Like he could he could guard all, that man averaged two blocks and two steals a game. He could guard all five spots. Hakeem Olajuwon, extremely underrated when it comes to all-time lists. And then Sam Bowie went before him, Michael Jordan went third. Now... Hakeem Olajuwon was supposed to be the number one overall pick. He was basically guaranteed to be the number one overall pick because in that time frame, you needed a dominant center to win basketball games. We needed You needed that guy that was going to anchor the five on defense and he was going to anchor your offense as well. He was going to be the guy that led you to a team. You didn't have guard-led teams going to the finals in, in 81, 82, 83, and 84. That didn't happen. So... And then even the Blazers took Sam Bowie before Michael Jordan because, like I said, you needed a center. You weren't winning finals with a guard being your best player. You had to have a dominant big to win titles. Fast forward 30, 40 years. We're in 2021. This is not the NBA of old. We score points from downtown. We need guys that are versatile on defense. I need a guy where if a center sets a pick and he gets switched on to Steph Curry, I need to feel comfortable in that situation with my center on him. With Rudy Gobert, I don't feel comfortable with him playing on the perimeter at all. I literally don't even... He could be guarding Draymond Green on the perimeter. I feel nervous. That man turns into a break dancer when he's on the perimeter. Stumble, stumble this, stumble that. SC top 10. Look at Curry make this guy dance. He, his instincts around the rim and his shot blocking are second to none in the league. He is the best shot blocker in the league right now. I have no quarrel with that. I'm not disagreeing with how good he is around the rim. He is the best defensive center around the rim currently. The league, the, the game is not played around the rim. You can't give this guy DPOIs for guarding the rim when a majority of the points are scored from 30 feet, when we're shooting threes. 
I need a guy that's going to be able to be comfortable in those switches. And the two other guys that were that were candidates and the one guy that got snubbed from being a candidate fit that description perfectly. That was Draymond Green and Ben Simmons were the two other finalists. And Bam Adebayo, who I 100% think, to me, he was the defensive player of the year this year. He anchored that Heat team while Jimmy Butler was out, and they they kept afloat around like the 10 and 15 uh, mark to start the year, and they ended up coming back and being a six seed going into the into the the playoffs. Ben Simmons, I'll talk a little bit more about Ben Simmons coming up, but his defense was second to none this year. He played great. Joel Embiid was a defensive player of the year candidate, and another thing. JoJo protects the rim extremely well, and he is a lot better on the perimeter than Rudy Gobert is. And obviously, Draymond Green speaks for himself. He's a 6'7 Swiss Army knife, especially when it comes to defense. He can guard all five spots, possession in, possession out. Extremely underrated when it comes to defense. We cannot give Rudy Gobert another DPOY. It can't happen. Unless I see him come out and clamp Stephen Curry like Kevin Love did to him in the finals in Game 7, I don't want Rudy Gobert winning another Defensive Player of the Year award. It's not how the game is played, and it shouldn't be how we hand awards out. That's the bottom line on that. We need versatility on defense. DPOY should not be, hey, this guy guards the rim the best. No, this is the guy that can guard all five positions because that's what the game calls for today. And that's why Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, and Bam Adebayo should have been your three finalists. I would have been okay with any three of those guys going home with the award, but I would have picked Bam Adebayo. I might be a little biased, though. Don't take my word on that. Back to the Lakers. We talked about Frank Vogel. I want him out of town. Man can't run a lineup to save his life. He's horrible at running matchups. Talk about like the polar opposite of Brad Stevens in Boston. Man can't run. He's like, oh, I'm playing against Draymond Green and Kevon Looney. I think my starting five is going to be LeBron running the point, Markeith Morris, I'll put Montrez Harrell at the three, Anthony Davis at the four, and Andre Drummond at the five. That never happened. It's a drastic overstatement, but holy shit, I wouldn't be surprised. Guy's a fucking idiot when it comes to managing rotations and matchups in the playoffs. I want Frank Vogel gone. Second, let Dennis Schroeder and Andre Drummond walk. Now, the only reason I'm bringing Andre Drummond back is if Montrezl Harrell declines his player option and he's leaving. I will consider, I will consider, it's not a guarantee, I will consider bringing Andre Drummond back at that point. Because he does play well, but I think he's going to want a lot of money and you have to be, like I said, it's the same thing with the Bucks. It all comes down to the dollar sign. It, it's important what you put out on the floor, but it's also important about how much money you spend on each piece. And like I said, the Lakers have 9, 10, if not 11 free agents on their roster this year going into this offseason. Whether it be player option, unrestricted or restricted, nonetheless, they have a lot to figure out. But the good thing with that, they have a lot of flexibility. They could go into this offseason with four to five guys on their roster and almost a completely clean slate. Um, speaking of that, hope to God that Montrezl Harrell takes his player option and comes back. Because he should be the starting five on the center. Uh, uh, no doubt in my mind, Montrezl Harrell should be playing the five for the Los Angeles Lakers going into next year. So we're hoping that Harrell accepts his player option. And if he does, well, bottom line, Dennis Schroeder needs to go. He is not worth the money that he wants. I don't think he's worth half the money that he wants. And even if he is, he does not fit in the Lakers system he needs you need shooters around lebron james and anthony davis i need guys that are going to be efficient while scoring from the outside dennis schroeder is not that guy he shot 33 percent from downtown which isn't terrible but like i said we need guys that are in that 38 to 40 to 45 mark i need snipers on this team and dennis schroeder doesn't fit the bill and if Montrose harold's back i let andre drummond walk um He's not a bad piece by any stretch of the imagination, but he just doesn't fit as well when it comes to matchups. You know, because like I said, if I'm playing small ball Warriors, I honestly I want Anthony Davis at the five, and I'm leaving Montrezl Harrell to come off the bench at that point. I'd be okay with running AD and Harrell at the four and the five, but to be most comfortable, I'm going to have Anthony Davis play center for a game. I'm going to move Braun to the four. I'll probably put Markeith Morris in at the three. You know, I'm bringing. I want those versatile guys to be able to come in and play a lot of minutes on those nights. Um, and then when it comes to free agency, like I said, I'm looking for snipers. A lot of the same names that I mentioned earlier with the Bucks. I'm looking at CP3 would be interesting depending on what his price tag is. Evan Fournier, uh, Devontae Graham, maybe Lou Williams, Bobby Portis, Will Barton, Derrick Rose, Duncan Robinson. These are all guys that I think the Lakers should target. Guys that I think the Lakers should 100% avoid. 
Ben Simmons. I don't know why I've seen Lakers people saying that they want Ben Simmons in a Lakers jersey next year. You're an idiot. Stop it. It's, no. You 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 struggled last year, obviously with the health reasons, but you couldn't shoot from downtown to save your life. Let's not bring Ben Simmons onto the floor. It's literally... Ben Simmons is a younger LeBron James who plays better defense as of now and can't shoot. That's not what we need. I don't need that on my team. Keep him away. DeMar DeRozan's also been a heavy name. Uh, he's been wanting to play in L.A. for a while. He's from Compton. He wants to be back home. He can go play for the Clippers. Again, I don't need a guy that can't shoot threes. Now, if DeMar DeRozan is going to commit to getting his jump shot right and being able to be a stop and standstill shooter from three, I think they could get a good price on him because he wants to be in L.A. close to home. So I'd be okay with bringing DeMar DeRozan in, but he's got to be shooting around that 35% mark from downtown next year, and I don't think he's going to be able to hit that mark. I think, I mean, he shot 25 26% from, the, from three last year. That's not great. It's, no, 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 it's not great. It's not good. It's not good at all. That's not what the Lakers need. I don't need a guy that's going to take nothing but turnaround mid-ranges and, and mid-ranges and get to the rim. I have LeBron James. I don't need another guy that can take turnaround mid-ranges. Uh, that's that's that on that. Um, and like I said, a lot of the emphasis comes back around to the dollar sign as well. Um, this guy may be worth X amount of dollars, but is he worth your X amount of dollars, you know, like Dennis Schroeder may be worth $30 million, but is he worth $30 million of Los Angeles Lakers money? Is he, when he comes out and plays next year for 82 games, is he going to produce $30 million worth of production in your offensive set? I don't think Dennis Schroeder can. That's why I don't want him back in the Lakers jersey. I would much rather have a guy like Lou Williams, um, Derek Rose. I'll bring Bobby Portis in who could play the four and the five and the three even depending on matchups. Bring Will Barton in. If I can get Duncan Robinson off his restricted deal, which I don't think there's any way in hell anybody's going to get him out on Miami. But if I can, I'm going to try. You know what I'm saying? So those are the guys that I'm looking for if I'm LeBron James and Rob Polinka going into this offseason. I need shooters, and I need to spend my money wisely. And I think, honestly, most important, stay away from guys that can't shoot 35% from downtown, man. DeMar DeRozan cannot suit up in purple and gold. And Ben Simmons... Ben Simmons, a lot of people are saying Ben Simmons doesn't deserve to be in the league. He needs to go play for the Shanghai Sharks next year. I wouldn't go as far as that, but there's definitely an issue. And speaking of him, that's what I'm going to talk about here for the last four or five minutes. Um, man, Ben Simmons. I've been a big, I've tried. And as much as it's, it's very weird. Ben Simmons has been kind of a in limbo for me. I don't like players that can't shoot threes. Like I said, it's today's day and age. You have to be able to hit 35% from downtown or you are a detriment to your offense. Unless you do all four or five other things at an MVP level, you are a detriment to your offense. And that's the thing. is like To me, Ben Simmons should be able to put up Giannis numbers. What's stopping him? He's a little bit shorter, a little bit less of a wingspan. He's not as athletic, but he's a 6'10", 6'11 guy that's considered a point guard. He has great court vision. He usually finishes around the rim well, but he just wasn't looking. Like, this guy would get to the rim and kick out on open rims. That's the issue. I'm all good with the driving kick, you know, the driving kick scenario. I think it works very, very well, especially if shooters on the perimeter. This guy was driving to open baskets and kicking out to double-covered contested threes. you got to take those shots when you get them. And also, man, you don't have to be a perfect free-throw shooter. I've never criticized LeBron James for being under an 80% free-throw shooter, but holy cow. To put into perspective how terrible Ben Simmons was from the free-throw line in the playoffs, when you look at every player that has ever touched the court in the NBA playoffs, ever, and you take all those guys, you put them in a pool, and you knock out everyone that doesn't have 70 attempts. So you have to have a minimum of 70 attempts to meet this mark and be on this list that I'm about to make. So you cut all those guys out. You take everybody who's ever attempted 70 free throws in a playoff run, in in one playoff run, in, in just you know in, in one set of the playoffs in one year. Take all those guys, you, you do the math, and you get the percentages out. Ben Simmons had the worst free throw percentage of any player in any playoff run with a minimum of 70 attempts ever. It was like 32%. Shaq shot better from the free throw line. And and I believe David Robinson was the other guy that they mentioned when, when I saw the stat. The worst free throw percentage by any player in the playoffs with a minimum of 70 attempts ever. You look at all the, the three-peat that Shaq and Kobe had. 
in in you know the 2000s 2003 in that run Shaq shot better from the free throw line than Ben Simmons did this this year that's absolutely ridiculous another crazy stat for Ben Simmons Ben Simmons missed more free throws in this offseason and you got to think they didn't even make the conference finals he missed more playoffs in two missed more free throws in two playoff series in the first and the second round than Steve Nash has ever missed in the playoffs ever in Steve Nash's entire playoff career Ben Simmons missed more free throws in this in these two playoff series he played this year than that that's an issue Kobe Bryant said it before he passed away that Ben Simmons needed to learn how to shoot a jumper statement reigns true You've got to, you don't have to be a spot. I'm not asking you to shoot 50% from three. I'm not asking you to be a spot up shooter. I'm asking you to at least be able to do what DeMar DeRozan does. Hit 40, you know, hit the 20 to 30% from downtown. Hit, you know, your 40 to 50 mark from the field and at least be able to shoot 60% from the free throw line. You can't be 32% from the free throw line, man. Those, that costs you playoff games and it did. It costs the Sixers two playoff games and it's the reason the Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Um, that's going to do it for this week's bonus or the what comes next bonus. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you made it all this way, I appreciate you extra. And we will see you guys next week on episode 19.